When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that vocal shouting. It's Dainer and Jay. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Scrabble Party Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Tuesday. Full show today, Jay. I'm excited about it. I am too. Right. Everybody knows how much I like stats, and, and we've got a stat guru that's going to join us. Yeah, I think such a stat guru, I think he will scoff at your use of Excel. <laughs> <laughs> he will be disappointed that there's a spreadsheet user in the house. You stay loyal, though, Jay. Stay loyal. Don't give in. I, I would love to uh, invest the time to take the spreadsheets to the next level with graphics and x-axis and y-axis like he does but I, I just don't have the time to do that his his are great i mean ben baldwin is a lot of times people gloss over at numbers he he makes it visual and, and really lets you know what you're looking at and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to him also creator of the fourth down decision bot which we also a big fan so yes. often uh so lots to get through that but his tier tweet thread it comes out every tuesday so i thought this would be a good chance to bring ben on and talk a little bit about state of the league and tiers and things of that nature uh through the eyes of analytics of course uh we also are really excited if you're watching on youtube um this is already up on the YouTube channel, an interview we did yesterday, but in the podcast, coming to you later, really excited to have the the ultimate intersection of mm-hmm. Tom Brady and Joe Burrow, and that is former Patriots uh, and LSU legend, uh, Kevin Falk. Kevin Falk, who played 13 years, won Super Bowls with Brady, and then was on the LSU staff for three years during Bur- all of Burrow's time there. Knows Burrow really well, seen Burrow in action, knows Tom Brady as good as anybody. He's a Hall of Famer. He's in multiple Hall of Fames. Just yeah. six days ago, was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he's in the Louisiana Hall of Fame. He's in the Patriots Hall of Fame. And he is excellent talking about the combination of what sort of why people do say Burrow really can be the next Brady. Uh, great conversation. Really excited to bring that to you. Yeah, you, you said it perfectly. The, the 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 great they're the perfect intersection because he got to New England a year before Brady got there, so he saw Brady go from nothing to this larger than life figure, and then it was kind of the same thing when he got to LSU. He he hadn't proved anything yet. He came in, he had to beat out two other guys just to be the starter, and then he goes on and has maybe the greatest college season of any quarterback ever. So he he really can see it from both sides. And the parallels, just even beyond that, are pretty amazing. Uh, if you're wondering, what about Mo? Don't do this to Mo. Mo will be with <laughs> us on Thursday. Uh, we're going to bring Mo in on Thursday uh, for all of our normal stuff we do with him. So looking forward to that. I'll still be doing uh, 3 to 4 at the Moreland Logger House today on ESPN 1530 with him. So all that is staying the same. But before we get to Ben, 
we got to run through these injuries, Jay, because it's just, <laughs> you know, there's a lot to get to um, and a lot to try to understand. You know, they're sort of viewed through the lens of reality. So, someone tweeted this yesterday, and I thought it was great. So, Zach Taylor talking about injury is kind of like every dad I know. And it's just like, ah, he'll be all right. They'll see how it looks in a couple of days. Walk it off, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, and so I kind of, I've, I've done that move. I understand that move. And I think that really resonates when we talk about how Zach sort of approaches these things and trying to both be vague with us, but also say, hey, it's not this serious or whatever. We're, get, we're not quite to iffy, partly cloudy, partly sunny world that we were at with Marvin Lewis, but there is a bit of a translation that we have to do as we talk about injuries now with Zach Taylor. Let's try running down the list here, Jay, because this is, it's really the number one thing with this team right now. Everything sure. else, hunky-dory, right? I mean, everything else is going really well. They're they're playing fantastic football. They've won five in a row. Um, there's not much to dislike. This is really where we're at. So Trey Hendrickson being the big one. The news I thought, Jay, from the Trey Hendrickson uh, broken wrist, or or as Zach Taylor called it, quote, wrist issue, uh, was that no IR. Now, mm. that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll be back. I mean, we've seen that with Chase. They had four healthy inactives this past weekend, so – roster spots and you know they can do standard elevations there's not really a need to do that even if he was going to be out an extended period of time that said no ir and the fact that he said he wouldn't totally even rule him out for this week um was surprising and i guess optimistic and maybe some gamemanship but sure. I, I it it is it's important to remember that the the IR deal is not just about games missed. And we saw this with Chase by not putting him on IR. Yes, he still missed four games, but he was able to come back to practice after three. Because if you're on IR, you can't practice or play for four weeks. So I, I think that is the hope with, with Trey Hendrickson where – even if he does have to miss multiple games and it gets up in that four range, they can still get him back into practice and work him in and have him doing other things. Um, so it is, it is good news that, that it's not an immediate, okay, broken wrist straight to IR. Um, and he, I mean, that's a big loss either way. However, however long it's going to be, someone's going to have big shoes to fill. So one, one thing that said, okay, Club it up, right? We see these guys <laughs> playing playing with the big clubs and trying. Lena Rumo sort of said, I don't like that. You know, yeah. you you really need to be able to get your hands in there, to steer and do all these types of things with both hands, get the holds off of you. He was kind of describing how really challenging that would be for somebody to to do. And he he he's sounded like not not a fan of that idea and would rather just see it heal all the way up and get Trey back when he can come back and you say, okay, like we said yesterday, if you listened to our live room, which is up, you can go back and listen to, as we talked to some of this yesterday, that was before um, our conversations with Lou and Zach and, and other, you know, more time poking around on this stuff. Um, you know, okay. Joseph Osai, right? I mean, it's Osai time. Well, he's got a shoulder injury um, and getting the, we'll see how he goes through the week comment. Uh, from Zach Taylor on that one. Who knows? I think I think a lot of this really is that. I think a lot of this really is. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I mean, we learned that last week when we talk about T or some of these other guys where it's like, ah, you, you thought they were going to get through and this time of year, sometimes you get to Sunday and it's just not where you thought it might be. We'll, we will have to be monitoring Osai and that shoulder. You know, there was a lot of not really thinking about how, what bridge we'd have to cross if both of those guys are out. Um, so maybe they think that Osai will be able to play, but either way, you know, your, your answer to the injury also potentially being out another blow for you. Yeah, I mean, it was encouraging that Osai came back and, and finished that game, but, you know, Trey did as well. Trey just didn't tell anybody that he hurt the wrist. Um, Osai was a different story. I've never seen anyone in the blue tent longer. Usually yeah. they go in there and they're like, okay, that looks bad. We need to get you inside, get x-rays, whatever it is, or, oh, you're you're good. Put some water on it, get back out there. He was in there forever, and and he, it looked bad. That, that shoulder was really dangling when he came off the field. So I, I think it's – it's going to be a pain tolerance thing, and it's just going to be a risk of is that shoulder going to pop out? Are you going to start him and then after one series have it pop out and have him go down? So, again, we'll, we'll see as it goes through the week. But big spot for him. Great chance for him to kind of book in this, this brief career that he's had going back to Tampa where he had that incredible start against Tom Brady in that first preseason game as a rookie. Um, so on the offensive side of the ball now, uh, Tyler Boyd uh, has a dislocated finger. Um, you know, we didn't sound like he had surgery, or at least they weren't saying that he had surgery. They had to get it flushed out to avoid an infection. Day to day was the words on that, not week to week. So it's a matter of pain tolerance. We again, like we said in the live room, we saw this with Mike Hilton. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time for that to get back in. And when you're talking about a catching position, mm-hmm. um, hard for me, you can say day to day all you want and maybe he'll play for me. Hard to see Tyler Boyd coming back and catching footballs on that dislocated finger this Sunday. That feels like it's going to need more time. It's not just catching the football. It's bracing your fall when you get tackled. I mean, that, that'll be, that can be really painful. Um, you, you need to put your arm down. The other, my big question is which finger, because if you think about it, if you're catching a football, it's going to hit you here. If it's one of the outside fingers, maybe it doesn't hurt as bad as if it's one of the inside fingers. Uh, the way he grabbed his hand after it happened, it looked like it was one of the inside ones. But again, that's just speculation. We'll we'll wait and see when we talk to TB, assuming he will talk on Wednesday. Yeah, I would not be counting on, on Tyler Boyd on Sunday. Uh, T. Higgins, the same hamstring, right? So it's the same thing. The fact that he was able to potentially do some red zone stuff and Zach Taylor chose to hold him back out suggests he's pretty close on that. And I mean, he's, he's always kind of, I feel like in and out of like a tight hamstring or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that looks much better that you'll get T Higgins on Sunday um, and have Trent Taylor playing inside in the, in the Tyler Boyd role with, and maybe spelled by Trent Irwin again, it's some sort of sub package thing. But you know, I, I do think, Feels like by holding him out this past Sunday opens up a pretty strong possibility he could be back. But again, hamstrings, very much a wait-and-see type deal. Hayden Hurst, uh, Zach Taylor says, still week-to-week on him. Not a promising response on that. I don't think we necessarily thought he would be back this week, but as far as keeping open the possibility like he kind of did last week, doesn't sound super. Uh, So probably without Hayden Hurst again. So the Mitchell Wilcox show uh, continues. This, you know, the one thing that he said was an optimistic view. Um, 
And so Zach Taylor says it's never as bad as it could be, you know. No one's going on R. It's a bunch of guys. We're going to have to see where they're at as the week goes. But he came today feeling pretty positive about where things stand. I mean, the teams that they're playing are beat up. Everybody's beat up this time of year. The Bengals are still mm-hmm. far on the good end of the scale when it comes to injuries. All right, talking about scales and all things charts and analytics and who's how do you compare to other teams, no better place to go than for us to bring in our friend. We talked earlier, uh, Ben Baldwin. Let's bring in Let's bring in Ben. Ben, what's going on? How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great, Great. Man. great. Thanks. thanks for jumping on. Yeah, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So, um, so Ben, you know, you, you have been, uh, an athletic contributor. You are, have done, been part of the big data bowl. Uh, you have, you do the tears thread every Tuesday, which I love creator of the fourth down bot, which we, uh, uh aggressively love, uh, <laughs> and use all the time. So first of all, thank you for all your work on that. But, I, uh, and I wanted to ask you though, what is your background? How did you get to this point? Hmm. Yeah, so I, I was trained as an economist, and that that's still my day job. So kind of all this <coughs> quote unquote football stuff is kind of uh, a side hobby. And maybe like five or so years ago, um, I I watched the NFL like all of us and everybody listening. And at the time, there wasn't as much data based analysis of the NFL, and that that's kind of how I got into it. Was it, it felt like there was kind of this void and, and started putting together some of the stuff and and luckily it seemed like it was useful to people so thank you to everybody who has run along with the fourth down bot and um, all the other stuff that's out there speaking of the fourth down bot because i am curious is is there a book is there a book on what you should do or is this your own created metric of you know time left in the game yard line differential and score all that type of thing is this something you created on your own or is there a kind of like when you play blackjack you play by the book is there a is there a go for it or punt or go for it or kick book out there? So there, there's kind of yes to both questions. So mm. I, this one I wrote myself. It, it's um, introduced in an article on The Athletic, which if, if you look at the bot's Twitter account, there's a link to like, the code for how the bot runs and the article okay. in The Athletic that describes how it was made and basically all, all the resources that somebody wants to use. And the reason I made it was because there wasn't, Two reasons. First, there wasn't a resource where if you were interested in a given decision, uh, what a team, quote unquote, should do, there is no place to go and say, what should the team have done? You had to hope that somebody from ESPN or PFF or somebody tweeted out a given decision, but there wasn't there wasn't a way to access every single decision for every single game. And then second, all of the other models are kind of uh, black boxy where you can't actually look at the code for how they're made so that one thing I, I believe strongly was that everybody should be able to look at every single line of code to understand where these are coming from, as well as the description of how they're made and, and hopefully try to demystify the process. But if you don't care about any of that stuff, which is totally understandable, you can kind of boil down what teams should do into basically, if it's fourth and one, fourth and two, you should probably go for it unless you have a really compelling reason to do so otherwise, which might be you're down by two points at the end of the game or something like that. Like Obviously, you want to kick a field goal. And um, uh, like an end of the half situation, other things like that. And also, I think the the other big mistake that teams make, other than the the fourth and one, fourth and two, punt or field goal, is when you've just crossed midfield and you're uh, on the opponent's side of the field. Even if it's like fourth and five or something at the opponent's forty yard line, 
you probably want to go for it there because a punt isn't going to do you as much good as um, the the opportunity of, of keeping the ball and, and having a, the chance to score. I, I think coaches tend to overvalue the importance of field position and, and undervalue the importance of um, actually having the ball uh, for your team. One of the, the graphs you had up today uh, was about the, the fourth down landscape and uh, teams that do it by the book with a lean toward aggressive teams that do it by a book that lean conservative teams that are full of fear and then teams <laughs> that are confused. And you had the Bengals in the confused gr- the quadrant. And that just kind of surprised me with that. They, they, they were one of the first to really dive into analytics and uh, uh, they went from being one of the most aggressive fourth down teams, which made sense because they were Zach's first two years. They were pretty bad. Now that they're, they're at the other end, they go for it among the least of the teams. Um, what, what is it that, that, puts them in that confused quadrant? Is it, you know, sometimes they look aggressive, sometimes they look passive, or is it just the the overall picture? Yeah, so the reason I labeled confused like that is because there's a group of teams that like basically never go for it, whether whether the bot really thinks they should go for it or whether it's a toss-up situation. Um, I, I think like the, the Steelers and the Buccaneers are examples of that. There's teams that just go for it all the time, like the Eagles and the Lions and the Jaguars. They they just have a strong propensity for going for it, whether it's whether it's a strong a strong go situation or a toss up situation. And then there's this handful of teams that they don't really uh, follow what the numbers say to do. As in, if the bot says to go for it, um, they don't they don't go for it at, at the same rate as some of the more aggressive teams. But they're not. Um, completely against going for it in that in, in toss-up situations, sometimes they do go for it. And that that's the Bengals, the 49ers and the, the Chiefs, I think were the three teams yeah. in there. And it, it's, um, it, it's not that they're completely conservative because sometimes they are going for it in toss-up situations. They're just, um, they're not going for it um, all the time um, that they should. And I think when I looked into this at some point there, I think early in the season, there were a few, fourth and ones that the Bengals had that they did not go for. And I, I'm guessing that's what's driving this, but I haven't looked into that uh, recently. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. The one thing I, I want to bring up is is one of my sort of favorite tweet threads that comes up and that it always starts uh, with your EPA per play on offense and defense cross-section. Um, do you view that as the best view of true performance? And Cam, I don't know if we have that, if we can pull it up here, because uh, the, the the main tiers, there's a very clear um, section where you, know, you, you tweeted, the Bengals are good. Right. I mean, <laughs> yep, yep. but it seems to be a real clear top two tiers of the offense and defense uh, where you see these teams that are Super Bowl contenders. Do, do you view that as like the, sort of the ultimate that 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 first one? Yeah. If you want to have something that shows both offense and defense, then I, I think either this or DVOA are both um, very good tools and, and will get you pretty close to how uh, teams have played in the past. Oh, yeah. Here, here's the chart. Um, and even, even something like point differential is a a pretty powerful tool for, um, predicting the future. And the disadvantage of point differential is you, you can't really tell, um, which teams have been offense driven versus defense driven. And the reason I like doing this tiers is you can see which teams have had really good offense and not as good defense, like the chiefs, which teams are balanced on both sides, like the, the Eagles, Bills and Bengals. 
and then which teams have really been carried by their defense. And, and I think it's, it's kind of an intuitive way to view how teams have gotten to the point that they've gotten. Well, it's a point that I've made and a lot lately is that when you look at the totality of the NFL, there's very few truly well-rounded teams uh, with that, that can beat you in different ways. And I think that really shows up there beyond just the tiers. But I mean, when you talk about you, you look at, you know, the, the Eagles and the Bills and the Bengals, the Niners and the Cowboys, and obviously the Chiefs are just so ridiculous on offense, <laughs> but but that's it. And like the teams that win the Super Bowl, now you can make it far. We've we've gone over gone through this uh on this podcast and on the site a lot in the past. Teams traditionally can make it into the playoffs, but the teams that win the Super Bowl are in that well-rounded corner. I mean, that's really the key to, to, to taking the final step. You kind of feels like you almost have to have that in order to win it. Yeah, either that or just an offense that's so good that nothing else really matters. And, and we, we've seen the Chiefs get very far in the playoffs and win a Super Bowl, and I don't think anybody would be surprised if that happened again. But um, those, those kind of teams need a defense to get hot in the playoffs or to make a key player to to carry them forward. And I think the Chiefs could do it again. But if, if you're a Bengals fan after the last few Chiefs game, you're you're not going into a playoff game against the Chiefs thinking that you don't have a chance against them. One other thing real quick about the uh, the Week 14 NFL tiers, the ones that we were just talking about, were, uh, is you also said the you're giving up on the Bucks after <laughs> after this week's tiers. So the Bengals play the Bucks this Sunday. Why? What was it about now that you've decided to wash your hands of the Bucks? Yeah, so they've they've been getting a lot of respect in, for example, the betting markets. And I always thought that that was reasonable because if you look at their personnel and their how good they were in prior years, they should be a good team. Like they have Tom Brady, they have good receivers. Their defense hasn't been bad and they're maybe even a bit above average and their offensive line's not terrible. So you would think that if you took all of those things, you would have a decent, at least football team. And they, 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 when you watch them play, they, they just do not, something is missing from them. And their most recent performance against the 49ers, I, that, that was finally enough to uh, make me give up on them. And they're, um, that game's in Tampa Bay, right? And the, the Bengals are yeah. favored by three and a half points or something like that. And I, I think that is totally understandable. Yeah, you can see the market here, you know, where they're still sitting there in that middle third. It's just the Brady effect, isn't it? I mean, where it's just there's still people that just refuse to give up hope on Tom Brady and the fact that they will, you know, maybe can still get it straightened out. Yeah, and you see them right next to the Packers where it's basically the same thing. A team that has (laughs) not been very good this year, but it's hard to give up on these quarterbacks that we've seen do it at a high level for so long. Yeah. One of the things that really interested me was in a part of your thread today, too, uh, about the teams that are best at not shooting themselves in the foot, i.e. calling runs on second long. And forever, it seemed the Bengals did that a lot. And and now you've got them as the, the third best team at, at not doing that. And I know you, you, you have some graphs that show movement throughout the year. Do you ever do anything, uh, graphs that are, that are year over year? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And is I think it's one of the interesting things about the Bengals where last year, I, I think, especially the first two thirds of the season or something, you guys would know this mm-hmm. better than me. I, I think they ran the ball too much. They didn't fully trust in what, in what they had in, in their passing yeah. offense and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and all those weapons. And then ap- 
at some point they really leaned into that and it carried them to a Super Bowl. And, and we've seen them kind of continue that this year. And they, a lot of the quote unquote nerds were pretty low on the Bengals going into this year, despite the Super Bowl run, because like a lot of their advanced metrics weren't very good. Their offense seemed like it was mostly driven by explosive plays, which aren't super reliable. But this year, like they they passed a lot, they moved the ball, and they they've just they've been a lot better than a lot of people uh, that aren't Bengals fans uh, expected. I think. Well, you look at you know the the series conversion rates with that, right? I mean yep. that. Yep. That's kind of the one that really shows that the most, where they're 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 most they're most consistent, um, and they're up there on offense. You're up there with it's the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Lions, right? Everyone's <laughs> new favorite, the 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 crazy Lions offense that you know, and it's that might surprise people, but for Bengals fans, you're right. I mean, it's it's a real good quantification, I think, of just how consistent their offense has been in comparison to the rest of the league. When you're up there, I mean, those teams that end up there in the top, even the Lions, I'll say it, like those are the teams that can win a Super Bowl. If you can that consistently be moving the ball, it's so much the key to how things end up. Yeah, and they did not look like that last year. I, I think they were in the bottom half of the league in, in serious conversion rates, and their their offense was pretty boomer bust where they, they had a 70-yard touchdown to Jamar Chase or they had some trouble moving the ball, at least for most of the season. And and this year, the the underlying and metrics are much higher on uh, what the Bengals have in their offense. Yeah, look at those. Look at the Lions. The Lions are dead last on the defensive side. If they had <laughs> yeah. any just a, any kind of defense, they would, I mean, be a real threat. Well, I'm, I'm trying to remember because I think I, I saw the individual offense and defense. Was it was it Bengals' third offense and yes. seventh defense Chiefs, in these? Chiefs, Eagles, Bengals. Yeah. So that's where you that's where you end up there. But that again, and that the the double you see the well rounded nature of really, you know, the the Bengals being the farthest up there as far as both offense and defense high in there, and that they've just they've been playing so well in that way. It's a great way of illustrating it. You know, the the, the Lions. They get high picks next year, right? So maybe they can help their defense that way. But it's it seems like all that they all they need them need at this point. With they're they're a fascinating case, and I think one anybody wants to see in the NFC. Um, you have offensive line rankings that I wanted to touch on because you know Bengals fans and, and you know we're sitting here watching and seeing how well the offensive line has played. But you the one your metrics which you pull from different places. One, if you could kind of explain where you pull them from, because I believe it has them at like twenty fifth. Now, this is totality over the full season. They've obviously come a long way since the early part of the year. But what, how, how are those, where do those come from? And, and how do you see that the, the Bengals have ended up sort of in that bottom quarter? Yeah, so there's two sources for this um, where organizations kind of do their best to quantify offensive line play. One is PFF. So they, they have people that chart every play of every game and they basically assign grades to every player and then through some mis- mysterious process, take all those grades for every player and, and create a, a team pass protection grade. So that's one source, which is basically the eye test is probably the wrong word from it, but it, it is it is something taken from actually watching the games. The other one is from ESPN, which um, uses the player tracking data. So every player has chips in their shoulder pads that tell us where they are 10 times every second on every play. And, and ESPN has created this measure that looks at uh, the percent of plays that an offensive line um, succeeds at holding off the defense for at least two and a half seconds. 
And if, if you kind of look at both of those, um, I, I don't have this in front of me because ESPN hasn't updated their measure for this week, but um, yeah, I, I think neither one of them, oh, actually, here it is, I found it. So the Bengals, yeah, the, the, neither one of these really likes the Bengals, and there's some teams where the two measures are all over the place, and I'm not totally sure what to make of those teams, but for the Bengals, they're like bottom quartile in, in both measures, so I, I think it it probably stands to reason that pass protection is not a strength of their team, but I think that's okay because their offense has still been really good, and it's probably better than it was last year when they got to the Super Bowl, so some improvement where it's not like a total Achilles heel and perhaps some expectations of um, getting better in the future. I, I think it's not, um, it, it's not a deal breaker in, in terms of the Bengals chances going forward. I think a big, I think a big part of where that comes from is how much better Burrow himself has been at avoiding pressure and getting the ball out quicker. And you know, the line may still be having issues and the player tracking may show busts and, and guys not, not, getting it done as much and PFF might have more missed blocks and what have you, but Burrow has done a better job of getting it out faster, avoiding the hits of let a far, a smaller pressure to sack rate, which has been a great increase for him. And that's why, you know, pe- people talk all the time, like sacks are not a line stat. Sacks are a quarterback stat in a lot of ways. And I think what you've seen is a big, in a big way has been the, the, production of burrow uh in handling pressure and avoiding sacks and understanding how to avoid the negatives as, as a big reason for that so people will get say that's jarring right to see the Bengals o line that far down well oh that's because a lot of the ability is is burrow's ability to handle it and understanding how to handle that better well ben this has been fascinating i i really appreciate yes. first of all all the work you have done uh, it, it it really helps, I think, in consumption of the game and understanding of the nuances of why teams are good or bad or why coaches are screwing it up over and over again. Please keep <laughs> posting the L's for everybody. Uh, <laughs> whenever you just post the picture of the team punting on a game that they lost, because you're right, it is only brought up uh, when a team that it goes for it screws up, right? That's what everybody talks about, all oh, the analytics, but they never show. So I, I appreciate that you're posting the L's of the team that loses a close game when they punted <laughs> when they had a chance to go for it. So thank you for everything you're doing, and please keep doing that. Yeah, I haven't decided if, if the else thing is, has become obnoxious yet, but um, never until, no, we love until, it. until it until it has been, I'll keep doing that. But <laughs> yes. um, th- thanks for reading along with everything. If, if nobody found it interesting or useful, there'd be no reason for doing any of this stuff. So I appreciate you guys. Absolutely, thanks, Ben. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thanks. All right, that's uh, Ben Baldwin at Ben B Baldwin on Twitter. If you want to follow, and of course, if you follow us, you probably have already seen the fourth down decision bot because uh, we like to trot that out there all the time uh, for for key decisions. The Bengals have had a ton of them. You know what, Jay? My wife is going to love that segment because she loves listening to economists talk about <laughs> real life. Like, <laughs> uh, and, and so this is that was a segment. Uh, really, anytime you bring you drop an economist into a situation to really logically assess a situation, she in so shout out megan i hope you enjoyed that segment i just love that that he wasn't on camera he's still i don't know what he looks like his all of his twitter avatar the computer cowboy it's the little red dot for the fourth fourth down bodies he's very mysterious and very good at what he does absolutely um all right let's hop into one more topic here before we get to uh kevin falk talking about burrow and brady as we start to flip forward Mm. towards sunday in tampa um, so 
the Jermaine Pratt thing we discussed a little bit on um, the live room yesterday. <clears throat> you know, he had the tweet after the game about wanting to play on third downs, and people are uh, talking about look. Um, scrubbing his his Instagram account and his Instagram doesn't have any Bengals stuff and all that all that stuff. Um, he had another tweet this morning. I just I hate getting into vague tweet season because as you know, if you have listened to this podcast, I think all of these are essentially about video games and or some or some <laughs> something totally obscure. You, you never like following tweets is always. I feel like it t- sends you down uh, a bad rabbit hole. Uh, but one more this morning, um, Jermaine Pratt, know your worth, no handouts needed with a zip across the mouth emoji. Now, I don't know. Maybe he didn't want to give handouts in Call of Duty. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but I did ask Luana Rumo about this yesterday because it's notable. And so talking to Luana Rumo, you know, I basically said, look, I don't know what to make of the social media thing, but he seems to be frustrated with not playing on third downs. What have those conversations been like? Uh, wh- how, and why isn't he playing on third downs? And here's what Lou Anarumo had to say. He said, number one, it starts with what an unbelievable competitor he is who doesn't want to come off the field for anything. We got a lot of those guys that way. That's a good thing. We want guys that want to play. We don't want guys that don't want to come off the field. We'll just leave it at that. I have no issues with Jermaine, not one. So it didn't quite answer the question necessarily. Um, Other than we'll just leave it at that, I think was the part that probably people wanted to know about. Um, But I think I have no issues with Jermaine, not one, is a suggestion that one, he's at least keeping it internal, and two, they love the way Jermaine Pratt's been playing. He's been playing his face off. Yeah. And I think his suggestion is, I've been playing my face off. I should never come off the field. And there's maybe an argument to be made for that. And I, I think it would be interesting to see if it does increase as they go forward. Maybe that is a conversation that they had uh, and don't want to divulge what their future plans are for rotations. That's a very, you know, Carlos Dunlap would. But that's about mm-hmm. the only time that ever comes out. Um, and so, I don't know, Jay, what was your thought on on his opinion about that? Yeah, it sounded like I don't want to say dismissive. He didn't want to talk about it. He was he didn't want to further the 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 topic, and that's I, I think that's why he said I have no no issue with that, and and you, you don't want to start the the back and forth there. I just you know ever since Jermaine got here, that was the knock on him it was is very good downhill run stopper, not so great in coverage, and and that's why they have a guy like Trey Flowers to cover tight ends on third downs and. Um, I, I do think that they don't have an issue with Jermaine in, in what he wants because they want guys to be on the field every play. That's that makes sense. But you know, if if you're giving them truth serum, they they could not have been happy about the tweet because it's just you don't you don't you never want that stuff taken public. Um, but Lou didn't want to obviously get into it. Uh, uh, you know that part of it. it. He just wanted to speak to the heart of the matter. What Jermaine's main point was, and we will see. I mean, he was he was on the field for eight eight of fifteen third downs. That's, I mean, that's not the highest percentage he's had this year, but it's it's higher than a lot of games. It does seem like it's actually moving in a more positive direction for Jermaine. So just the timing of it was that part of it, and the five straight wins part of it. That the timing is curious. Yeah, timing is curious, and we'll see how it plays out. But Jermaine, again, 
been playing really, really well. All right, let's just take a quick break. One thing we talked about with Ben that I think is important to touch on here as we kind of look at the future view of what this last, you know, quarter of the season uh, really looks like is that it certainly seems like the AFC has narrowed itself. The dog. Mm. What the Dolphins were against the Chargers is notable. Because I, I thought when we were talking about the AFC, you know, what we've seen the last two weeks with not just the Dolphins but with the Titans um, really falling off the map, you know, that's really a big deal. Tua was a disaster against the Chargers. I mean, I, I did not see that coming. I've included the Dolphins in a lot of the top AFC tier conversations with the way they were rolling, the yeah. efficiency of their offense, how well Tua had been playing. And we talked about, well, it was going to be big to see this stretch for them, right? San Francisco, the Chargers, they've got a bunch of they've got some games now against the rest of that AFC East that has, you know, teams that are vying for the playoffs. What they really look like there. They're them falling off leaves Chiefs, Bills, Bengals as it ever was last year. Same same three, I think, are amongst mm-hmm. that big three at the end. Yeah, the, the thing about Tua, what everybody talks about is his size. And you, San Francisco beat the heck out of him. And I think you you saw that at play in that in that Chargers game where he – not that he was hurt and not that he was scared or timid, but it – I mean, you can only get so hit so many times before it affects you. And I, I do. I think he was rattled. And you you wonder about that going forward. Tyreek Hill has the ankle that's a little iffy. I mean, it's he's still making ridiculous plays even on a, a not 100% ankle. But I do. I, I think you, you have a first-year head coach, and as great as Mike McDaniel's been, those kind of when you get late in the season, the games get tight and they get more important. I, I think there's an inherent pressure there with these first year guys, and it, it takes a while to to kind of get that rhythm going. And, and I just think it's one of those situations where they came out of the gate so hot, and and now they're kind of coming back to the pack a little bit. And I I don't see them in this on the same tier as, as Bengals, Chiefs, and Bills. Um, and I don't even at this point think it's particularly close run pass or boot jay ready bengals finish playoff seed okay one two or three five Hmm. run pass boot this is really it's a hard one i'm throwing it it on the spot it's a hard one because it, I, it, they're it, good I enough mean, to get chasing the chasing down the Chiefs is not going to be easy. Yeah, I mean, are they going to be favored in every game from here on out? They might be. Kansas City, might, for sure. Yeah, but will the Bengals? I mean, will they be a half point, a point on Buffalo? That's going to be really interesting. That Monday night game, I think they'll be favored against Baltimore. They should be favored against New England. They are favored against Tampa Bay. It's, I don't know. Um, the they're. The whole variable here is the Ravens because they do just find ways to win games and they don't have a juggernaut schedule. And as soon as they if they beat Cleveland this week or the next time they play Pittsburgh, 
that's a win and a half because as soon as they get one more division win, the Bengals cannot get the tiebreaker on the Ravens. So that's big where the Bengals would have to actually finish one game ahead of them to, to win the division because of that. I mean, I, I'm, I think I would run with five. I just think it's going to be really hard to catch that Ravens team. I do think, I don't know that this, I don't see the Bengals winning out. They're going to stumble somewhere along the way. And it's going to be, it's just going to be hard to overtake the Ravens, even with them without Lamar Jackson and all the other issues they have. It's just a, a team that knows how to win a coach that knows how to win. So um, I'll run with, I'll run with five. I'll pass on two or three and then I'll, I'll boot the one. I just, it's, it's crazy because all you need is one chief's loss and the Bengals control their own destiny. They could win out and get that number one seed. And I don't think the the chiefs are going to, run the table, but I just, I, I don't see the Bengals running the table either. Morrison has no faith in the Bengals. Fans are saying as they're listening, you, you need to get over to the good side, right? Um, look, uh, here's the chief's schedule. Tell me the L at Houston. I don't care what they did against the Cowboys. It's not happening. Seattle is, is free falling. At this point, they just lost at home to Carolina. Okay. They're a mess. They're becoming messy. They need Where is defense. that game? At, in Kansas City okay. at Arrowhead. Yeah. Denver, who just gave them a little bit of a game, certainly in Denver, has to come to Arrowhead. They've lost a gazillion times in a row to the Chiefs. And then they got to go at the Raiders that's the, the final week in the season. Maybe that's the one. You know, where the Raiders have been playing better. The Raiders may need it for a playoff berth. Maybe that's the one. You know, if you're talking about chasing down the one seed. Now, crazy things happen, right? I mean, crazy things happen. Meanwhile, the Bengals have to go through Brady, Belichick, Josh Allen, and Lamar Jackson. So it's, they got to play us. You can hear Duff now, right? I mean, that's the thing. And the way they're playing, it's hard it's it's hard to bet against it, but I you know the way it does set up, the Chiefs are playing so well. It feels like they're going to get that number one seed again. I'm not buying the Bills yet. I think the Bengals are going to win that Monday Night Football game, yeah. at least where I sit today, um, against Buffalo. But you know, winning out um, is not even necessarily going to be enough. So for that, I'm gonna I'm gonna say two three. I'm not buying the Ray. I think the Ravens are gonna. There's just no way they continue to find ways and trot out Snoop Huntley and the kid from Oregon and whatever and fu- and continually do this. I think Cleveland beats them this weekend, um, and I do think that last game of the season will be a will be a make or break for the division, um, and I think the Bengals will win that game. So uh, I'm gonna say. Two or three is my run. I am gonna pass on the one, hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna boot the five. I just I they, to me I it's just too inexplicable what's happening with the Ravens right now. They're just finding ways to beat bad teams, and t- we'll find a way to win without Lamar Jackson, and it just feels so smoke and mirror to me. And I, I don't I don't know if they can keep it up. We should rattle off that Baltimore schedule. I mean, yes, this game in Cleveland is going to be tough because the I, I, you you see the progress from Deshaun Watson from from the first start to last week. He looked a little better. Now he's going to be at home. 
I, I, I'm really interested in watching that game when we get to Tampa. Um, but the the thing, if for Bengals fans should root for the Raiders to be out of it, because I think if the Raiders have something to play for in that final game, it just feels like that's a franchise that falls apart. If the Raiders are out of it and they're just only playing spoiler against the Chiefs in week 18, I think they've got a chance to knock them off. That said, Andy Reid is 17-3 and three against the Raiders since he became the Chiefs head coach. It's unreal. Um, Ravens schedule at Browns. Uh, Falcons go to M&T Bank. Steelers go to M&T Bank. MT, yeah. And then Ravens come come to Cincinnati. So, all lo- I mean, Desmond Ritter? Wild card. Wild card. I, I, that Browns team is not bad. And Watson did play better. He did take a step mm-hmm. from Houston to Cincinnati. I mean, you saw some plays. They're still messy. Uh, but you started to see a little bit about that offense. I mean, they just do things that lose games. Um, but it's not like they don't have enough talent to win. Um, so I think if you start to see Watson play better, take another step, they absolutely should be able to beat the Ravens. Um, the Falcons have been plucky. Maybe Red Raiders good. I don't know how. I mean, the Steelers threw a million red zone interceptions. They were the better team. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's again, especially with the Ravens. I don't. You can't count that count a dub for them any week at this point when you consider how close it's been. Even though they've found ways to win. Okay. Uh, so now let's officially flip forward, Jay, and let's start talking about Sunday. Bengals at the Bucks. Burrow, Brady, one. Uh, who knows how many there will be if <laughs> Brady keeps playing uh, or where he'll be playing. Um, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's dive into this. And as we said, there's no better place to go uh, than to bring in the ultimate cross-section of Burrow and Brady. And that is uh, college football Hall of Famer, New England Patriots Hall of Famer, former LSU staffer with Joe Burrow, uh, and friend of Tom Brady, all of those things. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Burrow, Brady. Here's Kevin Falk. We've wanted to kind of tap into the concept of Joe Burrow and Tom Brady because we've, you know, it's such a thing that ever, the more you see Joe Joe Burrow becoming what he's become, the more you hear people say, "Man, there's just it's it's the Brady thing about him, right?" As, well, who would be the perfect person? to talk to about Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. And that leads us to today's guest, and that is Kevin Falk, who is still the SEC career leader for all-purpose yards and LSU's leading rusher, All-American, 13 years with New England, three Super Bowls. He's just covered in Hall of Fame. He's the Patriots Hall of Fame, Louisiana Hall of Fame, and as of six days ago, in the College Football Hall of Fame. First of all, Kevin Falk, thanks for joining us. Congratulations, man. Just yes. your, are you still kind of uh, riding off the College Football Hall of Fame experience? Uh, I'm not riding off of the spirits. I'm riding off of the time change. I'm trying to get back to the central <laughs> time change right now. Uh, the first couple of days coming back, it was real tough. But, you know, we, we, we could get it done. Uh, what was that? What was that experience like for you? Was it uh, Was it what you hoped it would be? Was it cool? Uh, it was an awesome experience, man. Uh, just the first off, just getting inducted, getting that call was was one for the ages. Uh, but once you got there, um, talking to the the current guys that are in the hall, 
um, a lot of guys that you see him play and the guys that is getting inducted with you, you're hearing their stories uh, as well. And it was just an awesome feel, awesome surrounding them. You know, the College Football Hall of Fame used to be right here in our backyard in Cincinnati, and they moved it away. And uh, I, I imagine it's something that is a great honor to go into. Were, did you think about it? Was it something that, how come I'm not in yet? I'm in the Patriots Hall of Fame. Why am I not in the College Football Hall of Fame? When I got hired back at LSU in 2018, um, it's kind of like when it crossed my mind, like, wow, mm. I might have a shot to making it. Um, and that's because every day you would pass by the uh the pictures uh of the college football hall of fame guys from lsu and you will see it you study it um one of the ones i studied the most was charles alexander uh just because he played running back um and just to see the years that he played and when did he get inducted and that's kind of what i was basing my you know me off of um and he finished playing in like 75 and he didn't get inducted until 2012 so it was it was like, wow, okay. I might not be, if I am able, capable, I might not be getting this for a while. <laughs> um, you are the 11th member of LSU to go into the Hall of Fame. So the question is, is Joe Burrow the 12th? When is that happening? Uh, whenever he decides to finish playing, yes, I'm pretty sure he will be definitely. Uh, <laughs> it, it just speaks for itself. His body of work speaks for itself, what he performed. And yes, it might have been for one season, but that one season he performed at LSU was magnificent. Yeah. Um, let's, I want to talk to you about a young Tom Brady. I mean, you know, you know that aspect of Tom is as good as anybody. Uh, were there traits in those, in that first year or two that kind of made you say, man, this guy could be the greatest to ever do it? Or was it more of a, an evolution that kind of happened over time in your eyes? <sighs> over time, uh, there's no one that you, you're going to see first off and be like, man, he's going to be the greatest of all time. He might say he's gonna, he's gonna be pretty good, but um, you're not gonna say he's gonna be the greatest of all time because that takes a long body of work to you know see that. But for Tom, you've seen some leader traits in him uh, when he first came to uh, New England, uh, and fiery, uh, controlled the huddle. It didn't matter what veteran is, was in the huddle; he controlled the huddle, and and you like that about him. Um, and like you said, it just evolved over time. Him working, understanding the game, and number one for him was just understanding everything i mean as a player you, you guys you look at these guys the quarterbacks as leaders but you know a guy like joe burrow comes in number one overall pick he's got that instant respect and, and tom brady comes in as a six-round pick number 199 overall yes you see the the leadership abilities but but how long did it take for him to really kind of win over that that locker room and take charge of that team uh, it took time to win over the locker room, um, but you can see it developing um, over time. You know, just being him, he never tried to change anything that he'd done. He worked his butt off. Everybody knew he was the slowest kid. Everybody knew he wasn't too strong, but he always competed with everyone, always wanted to compete with everyone. Um, his competitiveness edge is like, wow. <laughs> For somebody that's not athletic, you know, he, he really wants to compete with the best. We were um... – I was talking to Ted Karras, um, who played with Tom a couple of years ago with the Bengals now, and he, he pointed out that when he was young playing with Brady, I mean, you know, Tom at that point was a larger-than-life figure. And, and, you know, you see his persona and the way people around, you know, did, did you see his persona change and the way that people treated him change as, you know, his career went on and how, and, and how he sort of handled that 
uh, because it, it, he became, like you said, it evolved and he became that. But did you see that change over time? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, he had to change. Uh, he couldn't be. He couldn't be that guy no more. Because uh, <laughs> Tom was like, oh, Tom was coming out with us, hanging out with us, you know, having a good time. But you know, at that point, when it, like you said, when it started getting to be bigger in life, you got to start adjusting some things in your life and understanding certain places, certain things you can do and you can't do that you used to do. Yeah, I mentioned earlier how Joe Burrow kind of had that instant respect coming in as a number one overall pick, but but when he got to LSU, that wasn't the case. He it's this guy transferring in. You saw the start of of that as well. How long did it take Joe at LSU to win over that team and uh, kind of you know just take charge of that huddle, take charge of that locker room? Kind of like Tom. Joe came in very quiet, didn't say much, but you can see his actions throughout the course, you know, the time that he was there, the first few weeks. Um, the first day he hung out with uh one of the one of the nicest guys on the team. He was like, okay, okay, that that that's right. That's good. And then the next day he hung out with one of the guys on the team that you wouldn't think that he would hang out with. And you're like, wow, okay. I'm a former player. I observe this. I watch this. I see this. So it's like, wow, okay. And then he just lets everything play itself out. Uh, because if you remember, there was two other guys in front of him that was competing for the job when he came in. He let those guys do what they had to do, and then whenever those guys said that they was going to transfer, that's when he evolved and stepped in. He didn't do it right away and let you know try to take over the team. He he, he let it, he let everything happen and evolve. And so, I, I mean, at that point, I mean, once you started to see him play there did you in your head make brady comparisons as as 18 and 19 starts to happen when you saw the that stuff the off the field stuff the crossover the leadership the the connecting with people did that start to happen for you at that point or were you or or uh or not no not at that point not at that point um the 18 we had to play the 18 season um we was okay but we wasn't like that next year I think the 18 season was a feel for him to get a feel for who he had on the team, what type of athletes he had on the team. And when we came back for that spring of 19, it, it was a totally different, like, offense. Like, it was, it's like it was new. They gave new keys to a car. <laughs> you mentioned how competitive Tom is. We, we've seen. Yeah, this is the first year that we've been able to get back in the locker room since since Joe Burrow's been in Cincinnati, and we've seen glimpses of that. We've heard stories from the LSU days. Um, there's there's been some tossed ping pong paddles and f bombs dropped when he's not the number one ping pong guy in the room. What do you can you did you see that at LSU? And can can you compare just that competitive streak they have outside of football, just at everything else they do? Oh, definitely. Um, they they definitely are competitors. That that's one thing, one trait that they have. Uh, like that's one of them that you could compare them by. They they are really really good competitors. They want to compete. They want to play the best. The only thing is, I think Joe is a better athlete than Tom. Yeah, <laughs> he's a better athlete. Joe, Joe can shoot it around now. Joe can shoot some basketball. Mm-hmm. Joe can play some ping pong. Joe is very athletic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. Uh, 
I was reading that when scouts started coming through, obviously, and talking about Burrow, you know, you would say, "No, this this guy, this guy is is got Brady in him. This this is like a Brady type of guy." What what, what do you what do you remember about that? And what was it that you when those scouts were coming through, he was coming out that you, the reasons, the biggest reasons that you would you know say that had control of the uh, game, yeah, had control of the team, um, and it wasn't like. I'm the leader or nothing like that. Nah, everybody looked at him. Uh, everybody looked at for him to make a play when certain things went weren't going right. Uh, I don't know if you remember the 18 game we played in the Fiesta Bowl against UCF. Mm-hmm. And he got hit early in the game. And, I mean, it was a hit for the ages. Like, oh, he might be done. Mm-hmm. Walked, off of the, walked off the field, got to the sideline. The backup quarterback was warming up to get ready to go in. He looked, it's like he looked at him. He didn't say nothing. He looked, he like, like he looked at him like, I don't know what he warming up for. <laughs> um, and, and that's another thing about him that uh, that the kids love his toughness, how tough he was. It wasn't just in his play, um, he showed it in practice. Um, against the defense at some at one point it was like hey joe man you don't have to fight with the defense anymore you won the team you won the team over i can i can remember him and patrick queen getting into a fight during the spring and it was like oh no pat no pat that's how it started <laughs> <laughs> well what about you know all those years with tom i'm sure it seems like every year every couple of years here comes the next tom brady and and now you hear those comparisons with Joe and when Tom would go up against a guy like that, does was did he pay attention to that type of thing? Was there was there extra juice when it's the the new hotshot QB coming in to take him on? Even though he's going against the defense, not going against the other quarterback, um, I'm sure the competitive side of him wants to show that that he's still the guy. Always, always, he's definitely <laughs> paying attention to it. He's definitely watching. That's what competitors do. Yeah. That's, that's where they get their competitive edge. They try to get an edge somewhere, some, somehow. And Tommy's a little older now, so he has to get that edge somewhere. He got to find that edge somewhere. So we should be keeping an eye out for that, I guess, this weekend, potentially uh, the, the first ever meeting between uh, Burrow and Brady. Maybe the only, who knows? I don't I, At this point, I think Brady's going to play till he's 55, so who knows? Maybe it'll be uh, the first I, of many. I, I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt 55. Uh, just my boy now. I love him to death, but it, it looks like for the time he's about to c- come and knock him. <laughs> oh, no. Do you still talk to Tom at all? Yes. Do you see him yes. often? Yes, I still talk to him. Um, we shoot our text messages, see how everybody, how our family is doing. We we grew up together. Uh, mm-hmm. We was in the same locker room together for like twelve years. So yes, we still <laughs> we still keep in touch. Uh, you know, you, you feel bad for him, um, but at the same time, you're grateful for him um for still being able to play at, at this level um it may not be going well for him right now and i was just joking about for all the time because yeah. it's not just him it's the team thing <laughs> yeah it's the team thing so uh but you know we have fun like that man it, it's yeah. just you know building growing um watching each other grow and he's still growing as, as a as a man right now playing football so you know you're on lsu staff i mean do you did you talk to tom about Burrow and be like, man, I'm telling you, Tom, this guy is looking like he reminded me of you. 
I was a couple of conversations that we had early on. Um, what is one thing about time? Once you tell him something once, trust me, he's gonna pay attention to it, mm-hmm. and I guarantee you he watched Joe Burrow play. <laughs> so all all those years you played with Tom. Um, by the way, you've got the six most most catches that Tom Brady has thrown in history. There's only five guys that caught more passes from Brady than you. Wow. It, pro- it probably didn't happen a lot, but if you did run a route, wrong route, if you did miss an assignment and pass protection, how did, how did he respond to that? Did, was it a, a chew you out? Was it a pat you on the butt and, you know, get him next time. And, and what did you see from Joe Burrow in that regard when guys would mess up at LSU? It all depends on the situation. It all depend on the the person. That that's what was different. That's what made those two guys different than anybody else. Just for the simple fact they understood who they were playing with. You can't just up and yell and scream at somebody, and you know they can't take it. Mm-hmm. That they're not going to respond well to that. Those guys were really good about understanding and knowing who to yell and scream at, knowing who to, you know correct or how to correct them you seem like someone that could take it did he, did tom ever yell at you <laughs> uh i was one of those guys that knew pretty much what tom knew not saying that i was perfect <laughs> but i there wasn't too many mistakes but yeah i got yelled at a few times <laughs> <laughs> what what has it been like for you to watch joe burrow's career take off in in the pros i i know there's no surprise considering everything you saw there but what's it been like to sit back and watch what he's done already been in the super bowl may win an mvp this year i mean it's it's uh i'm just curious from your perspective what it's like it's been awesome um just to know to know him and know he's a friend uh i worked with the giants for a month during training camp this past summer and they played the Giants the second preseason game, and I got a chance to see him. And it was like he was still at LSU. Like he can't give me a hug. We talked, told me I love you, man. Thank you for everything. You know, it was, he was still Joe, and that's what you wanted to see. Um, he understand where he is, understand what he's doing, um, and I think for him to push people forward, other people forward. Like when Jamar got drafted there, it was like. <laughs> that, <laughs> Uh-oh, they're in trouble. <laughs> because the chemistry was there. The chemistry, yeah. that that was something. And that's another thing we didn't talk about, about Joe and his receivers. Uh, the chemistry they built throughout that 2018 season into the offseason to the 2019 spring. Um, after that spring 2019, those guys vowed to catch 10,000 balls apiece before <laughs> camp started. And they caught ten thousand balls apiece. I'm not. I don't know how many balls Joe threw, but I know that he caught ten thousand balls. That's <laughs> incredible. You, you mentioned Jamar. Were you in the dome for the Saints game this year when when Joe and Jamar hooked up on that game winning touchdown? No, I wasn't in the dome. Yeah. I wasn't in the dome. <laughs> it went it was uh it was a weird feeling because there was like there was a mix of Bengals fans and also Saints fans sort of kind of cheering under their breath and then it was, well those Saints fans those Saints fans were LSU fans promise you yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. A lot of mixed emotions as they had that moment. Why? So where will you be? Will you be watching on Sunday? Brady versus Burrow. Uh, will you be tuned into that one pretty closely? Oh, definitely. I was watching the, the Bengals and the Browns yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Pages don't play till tonight. So I, I had a little time. 
But I was going between that game and uh, the Giants and the Eagles game. Well, I guess we should we should pre uh, get your thoughts on the Patriots too, because Bengals Patriots comes. They, they, it's the Kevin Falk run is happening right now. It's gonna go. It's gonna go against Brady this week, and then the Patriots on Christmas Eve for the Bengals. So, how what's your what's your view of the Patriots right now? Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> Points. <laughs> be able to score some points offensively. We we not consistent enough offensively. Um, for whatever reason that may be, uh, it's just not consistent. Enough. Defense is playing well, but the defense, you can't have the defense out there all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we well we will keep that in mind. It's uh the Kevin Falk run is underway now <laughs> as it is officially uh Brady week this week and then next week against the Patriots. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations yes. on the Hall of Fame honor. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Your latest Hall of Fame honor. Uh you certainly deserve it and earned it. We really appreciate you spending some time with us here in the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate y'all, man. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Kevin. Kevin. Have God, a good have one. Good. Again, if you're watching us here on YouTube, uh that video is up on our channel. So you can hop in over after this and uh, pop on over and, and watch that interview, which we did yesterday uh, with Kevin. All right. Great to chat with Kevin. So did you have a takeaway from that, Jay? Just kind of what I touched on earlier, how he he really got to to see both of these guys careers take off and um he seemed he seemed surprised when I told him that he had caught the six most passes from Tom Brady. I don't think he realized that three hundred and ten. Um, the, the other thing was uh, I thought was interesting was he talked about how these guys know and knew early on that as a leader you don't talk to everybody the same way. Because I, I was curious about that if if Tom ever lit into him when he missed a missed an assignment or ran a wrong route and. Um, I thought that was interesting that that he he said that they you know coaches know that that, that that's kind of the DNA of a coach that you know which guys you need to put your arm around which one you need to kick in the butt uh, a little different for for players to especially guys coming into a team and just taking over that leadership role so early in their careers and um, I, I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, and we ha- that's something that we've talked about a lot in trying to explain to people what has made Burrow so special beyond on the field in Cincinnati within that locker room. So that, you know, and that is, I remember Brian Callahan saying this for a story I wrote last year and it was, it was, he just has such an innate understanding of human dynamics and, and, and in within the building and we specifically within the realm of a football team. And it helps really keep everybody on the same page and make everybody better. That's something that was very much, <clears throat> a core tenant of Brady. And I think that's why people compare them. Andrew Whitworth, um, I think it was on Good Morning Football. Uh, One of the places, I think that's where it was, he was talking about Burrow and made that, he said, yeah, you know, people talk all the time about, you know, who who Burrow's like. Is he like Peyton? Is he he like Rogers? He's like whoever. He's like, to me, it's always been Brady because of that, because of, that a bit you know he's never been the biggest fastest strongest necessarily you know mm-hmm. brady pick 199 burrow third string at ohio state um all that stuff but that that ability that that combination of tangible and intangible has been what set them apart and i think that he said that's why it's always been brady is the comp for him 
And I think that's what Kevin Fox getting at there, right? Where you mm-hmm. see that he saw that at a young age from Brady start to evolve and become a thing in the same way here in Cincinnati. And again, it's unfair to say this guy's going to be Brady, but I think of all the here comes the next Brady's, I do think Burrow has been the most um, correct comp. Yeah, and interesting what you said about understanding human nature and the dynamics. I mean, it makes sense. His dad was a coach. His mom is a principal. I mean, those are people that have to understand a lot of different personalities and get them to work together for for common goals. And I I do. I think that is something that's just innate in him. I, not something. It's not really something you can work on. You. It's one of those either you have it or you don't. And what Kevin said about. One day he's hanging out with the nicest guy on the team, and the next guy's hanging out with a guy that you would never expect him to hang out with. And um, I, I don't think Joe consciously says, "Hey, I'm going to make a point to to hang out with each guy on the team." It's just he gravitates to everybody and and, and spreads it around. We're about to do Arby's here, and remember the Arby's mm-hmm. from a few weeks ago. I was telling you about when I was in Baltimore, and the elevator opened up, and there's Burrow with Clay Johnston, and <laughs> like so, you know, it a, there it's not it, it's it's up and down the roster anybody is as i would say that across the team for the most part anybody hangs out with anybody but burrow in particular always seems to be one of those that is sort of you know no matter who you are number 53 or t higgins and jamar um you can kind of see him there i mean he's with defensive guys in vegas with bates and awuzie and you know he's he's off doing stuff. Him and Sam Hubbard at Ohio State. It's again. It's just it's that's a that's a part of it, right? That's such a part of of keeping everybody on board and keeping that culture where it is, which we talked about in the live room yesterday. Um, as is a, such a big deal for what's made this team so good. All right, Arby's Jay. Where what do you got? So. I feel like I have to turn into a detective again. I feel like I keep being getting messed with um, when I was talking to the <laughs> defensive guys uh, doing the Cam Taylor Britt story after the game and talked about how Cam made a bet with Eli. He would be the first cornerback to to have an interception on the team this year. And I went over to Hilton and and I said, when was that when was that bet made? And he said, I don't know. This is the first time hearing of it, but I want in on it. And so then I, Eli finally got dressed. I went and talked to him and asked him when it was made. And he told me, and I said, Mike wants in on it. And he's like, Mike's in on it. He's like, that's crap. He said, he shook my hand and said, he's in for a hundred. And (laughs) (laughs) he's like, he's in. So I don't know. You you just never know who's telling the truth. Who's not telling the truth. Um, I, I have a a stat off of that Arby's. If you want to do your Arby's first and then no, come back go to the ahead. stat. Jay's go got Arby's stats. So the, the, the Bengals do not have a cornerback with an interception this year. In the last 25 years, from 1997 to 2021, there have only been two teams to go through a season without a cornerback getting a pick. One was the 2018 Bengals. Yeah, I remember that. And one was the twenty or two thousand nine Rams. Wow! Uh, it's not just the Bengals chasing that that dubious history. The Saints also do not have a cornerback with an interception. They barely have any interceptions. It is the Saints only have three interceptions all year. That's amazing. It is. That is amazing. They could be only they're going to do it in 18 and 22 potentially. And no other team has done it this century outside of one. That's, that's remarkable. And it's such a weird thing. I mean, the safety, cause it's not like they haven't gotten picks. Like you say, I mean, 
the safeties have <clears throat> piled them up, but the actual corners haven't been able to get them. Uh, here's a, I have, I have um, two, I have two Arby's. Um, one is connected to Arby's, and that is <laughs> yeah. a tweet that was sent to us is that Carolina has put in an eight offensive lineman package. And when asked about it, <laughs> there I don't know who said it. it was a coach or what, I don't know if it was if it was Steve Wilkes or their office coordinator or whoever. He said the name of the package is Arby's because we have the meats. <laughs> Which uh, shout out for those that that turned uh, turned that over to us to uh, make sure we saw that. Uh, I love it it's just just for you, Jay. I mean, if yeah. only the Bengals could put in an Arby's <laughs> package. And between that, Chick Fil A was referenced yesterday by Zach Taylor because he apparently him and uh, oh who was it Clint Kubiak and whoever the question was about I can't remember now all went to uh, oh Troy Walters our yes, receivers yeah. coach all used to go to Chick Fil A together at Texas A and I'm like people need to stop sticking fast food into my life before <laughs> I've eaten my lunch okay uh, he continually shows up and gets mentioned uh, second did you watch the Manning cast? I did. I, w- I found it boring. It was incredibly boring. And like, <laughs> look, I, I've i been, this time of year, Joe Burrow, like his press conferences kind of dulled down a little bit. He's just, you can tell his focus is 100% elsewhere. And he's just in football dialed in like total blinders, right? Mm. And so the, there's a big difference in press conferences from, camp or off season or even early in the regular season to where they have been lately uh you know he's he's dialed in and this felt that way too but also the mannings had many missed opportunities kyler murray tears his acl like and here comes joe burrow yeah, <laughs> on know. your show it was never even mentioned like never <laughs> even talking about that concept which is unbelievable then a bat a big batted pass happens it gets touched on how he's like oh batted passes should be outlawed yeah, or whatever right. never talked more about like the concept of batted passes how he cannot stand them he's got like a gazillion batted passes this year and 25. yeah 25 <laughs> batted passes <laughs> like now and then uh, there was really no football talk. Where Burrow's really fun to listen to, especially yeah. when, when he's sitting there with the Mannings. Break down these plays. Talk about what you're seeing on the field, what they're doing. Like, I, I look, I want to see guys with their shirt off as much as the next. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it was like, it was just the whole thing was just a string of like, hey, here's Mac Jones' shirt off again. Here's another thing the producers handed us that that you said. Here's the the wisdom teeth girl, right? And it's like, that's fine. But like, I guess maybe we know it better than most what the opportunities were there to that happened mm. right in front of them. But it felt like a, a boring B, a lot of missed opportunities from the Mannings. Yeah, I agree. And I, I kind of like on the ACL, I don't, I think everybody assumed, but maybe they didn't want to go there yet because they didn't have official confirmation. But they could still say as a quarterback with a knee injury, and they did go the other way, which I thought was good talking about. Um, and Joe was, I thought, good on that about how much respect he has for for quarterbacks that get come into the game because they they get no reps whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, maybe if he had a third or fourth quarter spot, they could have got more into 
the the X's and O's and, and the strategy of the game. It just felt like that game got off to such a disjointed, sluggish start, and there was really nothing interesting happening on the field. But I agree, it would have been fun to to hear him break down some stuff. And that that I, I enjoy watching that, but I can only watch so much of it. And it's it, it goes back to kind of when everybody was on Zooms during the pandemic. It, it's there's a lot of talking over each other. Cause you, you, someone, yeah. else, you, you both talk at the same time and then you're like, Oh, you stop, you go ahead. Oh, you, and, and people are going in and out. And I think there was a lot of that going on as well. And it just, it didn't feel comfortable. No, it did not. <laughs> um, by the way, I just want to, from the YouTube comments, Zach, Zach deadly, uh, laugh my ass off at all the liquid death behind Jay. You do have like piles of it back there. Jay. <laughs> and I'm drinking one right now. You got one right now. I've got yeah. a couple. Behind, I've got a couple behind me. Always have our liquid death nearby. Yeah, the pile boxes and boxes of liquid death. You're, you're living up to it. Proud, proud sponsor. Um, all right, growler bet recap, Jay. Uh, it was a hard one to get. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up being a, a tough answer because it. Wh- where we end up with it? So the uh, Mixon uh, had eleven more touches. It was Mixon eight. versus P Ryan. Yeah, Mixon uh, versus P touches Ryan. and total scrimmage yards. Scrimmage yards, yeah. So Mixon out touched him eleven and had eighty six more scrimmage yards. Um, I said eight and twenty eight. You said twelve and fifty four. So you have now won three straight growler bets. Head How many scrimmage me. yards was it, Jay? It was uh, he out he outpaced him by eighty six. Okay. So um, yes, you've you've won three in a row, and you lead the season series. Or no, you have. Yes, you lead six to four. That was a. It, it feels good. By the way, I'm not going to lie. It feels good <laughs> to be ahead. Uh, however, I want to uh, shout out Craig Turner. Mixon, 11 touches, plus 11. Mixon, plus 80 yards. Oh, wow. So close. So close. <laughs> Couldn't quite make, but what a guess. Great guess from, from Craig, who hits the touches and only a few yards off in the yards from scrimmage. So congrats to you on that, on being so close. You get nothing for it other than kudos from us, which I think is really priceless. <laughs> Um, okay. Um, do you have any more run passer roots? I fired the one off early. Do you have another one you want well, to see? Who will be the first cornerback to get a pick for the Bengals this year? No, oh. CTB Hilton or Eli Apple? Eli Apple. Um, or other? There's no well, other. Yeah, I couldn't do other because I, I don't know who I would stick the other with. To I, I maybe Hilton, Trey Flowers, D- Dax Hill. You have to do some good. Yeah, I think we just we just go with those three. Uh, yeah. Run passer boot the corner to get the first pick. Hmm. I will. Uh, I'll run with Eli. I think he's. I think he's going to. Uh, CTB's been close on a couple, mm-hmm. but I, I I'm going to run. I'm going to run with Eli Apple. I will pass on Hilton. I still think Hilton's got a. You know, one of these where he's charging in on the blitz tips like Tennessee yeah. feels like one of those has to happen, and I'll pass. I'll I'll, I'll boot Cam Taylor Britt, even though he's been the closest, um, and his and you know played pretty well. So I don't know. I don't really know what I'm doing on that one. It feels really luck like dumb luck. Who's yeah. going to end up with it? Or I guess none is a possible answer here too. 
It's funny because uh, Patrick Mahomes only targeted CTB twice. And then last week, Deshaun Watson went at him 10 times. I, I have a feeling Brady's going to go after him. Lou talked about that yesterday when Tom Brady gets back there and starts licking his fingers and he sees a rookie out there. He's going to pick on him. Um, so I, I think CTP is going to get his his chances uh, Sunday and, I mean, even beyond. I mean, I think they're just going to keep throwing at him. He is the young guy out there. Um, we had a uh, – I don't know. There's a preseason run passer boot that has now been graded. Oh, oh, and here we go. It, it was – Rookies, they're starts by rookie draft picks. Mm. And you ran with 17 or fewer, uh, passed on 18 to 26 and booted 27 or more. I flipped it. I ran with 18 to 26, passed on 17 or fewer, and booted 27 or more. And we are over 27. We're at 29 now because – this is it's kind of a I don't know. They 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 always start with five defensive linemen. And Zach Carter technically has eight starts this year. And Dax Hill technically has a start. So you take those nine out of it and it's it's more in that twenty range where I, I thought it would be. But uh yeah, we we the boot hit for both of us on that one. I mean the the Cordell Volson rise, Jackson mm. Carmen fall is really what that question ended up kind of being about. And we've seen CTB, of yep. course, come in lately. But um, that that's really the majority there and, and the way he's played and taken over that gig. Uh, all right. Well, so be it. So be it. Plenty more plenty more to come. I'm sure we got to go back through the archives a little bit. I'm sure there's a lot that we're going to start to get on the line here as we get towards the end of the season. We'll yeah, to- there there is another one that's close. It was uh, least likely to happen. And this this happened on September 13th after that just incredible game against the Steelers. And it was the least likely event to repeat. Evan McPherson has two misses in a game. Burrow has multiple picks in a game. And the O-line gives up seven sacks in a game. We both booted seven sacks thinking, oh, sure, that's going to happen again. Um, and that's the only one that hasn't happened. Burrow had multiple picks against Cleveland. Uh, in the the game at Cleveland, and uh, Evan had two misses in a game already. So the O-line's holding up. How about that? Uh, All right, I want to thank Ben Baldwin, uh, Kevin Falk for joining. It was great. And we'll have Mo Egger join us on Thursday as we go all in on preview of Bengals Bucks. You'll hear, you know, we're going to talk to Burrow and – Brian Callahan, Zach Taylor again, and uh, some locker room time with some stuff uh, that we can come back with for you on Thursday. And we'll be going on all things Bengals Bucks for this weekend. So come back and check us out on Thursday. Uh, Should be fun. Uh, Jay, it's been a pleasure as always. Hope everybody. I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, it's going (laughs) to (laughs) be. You know why? Because I finally hit a parlay. So and I got to wait two extra days to brag on my parlay. So we'll save that for Thursday's <laughs> session with Mo. <laughs> oh wow, coming back, maybe we'll see. All right, uh, we will talk to everybody on Thursday.